Welcome, and thank you for tuning into the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. If you haven't noticed yet, our lead pastor, Nathan Kolar, is not here today. He is away with his wife, Jessica, and children um, enjoying some time of rest. And we're glad that we get to honor them um, in that time of rest with family together. Um, But I am excited to share with you that we have an incredible uh, guest speaker today. He is a pastor, an author, he is an artist, and he is the founder of Find Rest, which is an organization that invites people into the rest-filled reality that they are seen that they are heard, that they are known, and that they are loved through the finished work of Jesus. So will you help me in welcoming this morning, CZ. Come on up, CZ. What's up? It's uh, exciting to get to be with you guys today. I dig this community so much. Uh, What this church represents here in our city is so beautiful, and I love to get to meet people Uh, throughout the city, uh, even maybe some of you over time, just that speaks so highly of this community. And I love Pastor Nathan. He's a good dude. And just to be able to come and serve him as he gets some rest and respite is really cool for me to get to do. I'm also really excited because I love to open the word and look to Jesus together to see what he wants to say to us. And uh, that's what we're going to do this morning. I know this church has been going through a series called Believe, which is looking at the book of John. And the book of John is so beautiful because it focuses on the life of Jesus. There's no better time spent than to fix and focus our eyes on Jesus and who he is, what he's like. And uh, one of the things that I was thinking as Pastor Nathan is away and We're taking a little break from that time is to stop and to ask a question that I think is really important for every person to ask who is interested in following the way of Jesus. And the question is this, what should be true about my life as a result of following Jesus? It's an important question to ask, and I think sometimes We don't stop long enough to ask it. We do spend a lot of time looking at Jesus, who he is, and what it means to know him. But if we're not careful, we only think of things in terms of knowing Jesus for later on after we die. And that would be a huge miss because Jesus came, says in Matthew chapter 4, to preach the gospel of the kingdom. He wanted us to know him on earth as it is in heaven, as it says in Matthew 6. So we're going to ask that question. What does it mean to know Jesus? And what should my life look like as a result of that? Now, it's important not only for those who follow Jesus. Some of us say, man, I'm all about Jesus. I dedicate my life to advancing the kingdom of God, to serving Jesus. But there are also people, maybe in this room, who would say I'm interested in learning about Jesus. I'm not really sure exactly where or how he fits into my life just yet, but I am interested. And I think it's important for all of us to ask the question because we should all know 
what should be the result in our life as a result of knowing him. For some, it's a reminder and a refresher. For others, it might be a new set of insights that would help us to see why it's important to follow Jesus right now. We're going to look at the book of 2 Corinthians today. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, that's where we'll be. It's kind of back toward the latter part of the book. Uh, we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And in here, we're going to see some verses written by a guy named Paul to a group of people who were trying to answer this exact same question. They wanted to know, in the midst of a culture that was filled with a lot of different ideas and influences, maybe even some that were affecting the way that the church of Jesus was being led they wanted to know what was true and what should come from our lives as a result of knowing. And Paul wants to remind them. We're going to start in verse 14. Verse 14 of 2 Corinthians says this, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So there's a lot of words in there, some linguistics. I want to take some time to look at what these two verses are saying because they're really important if we're going to ask this question. What should our lives look like as a result of following Jesus. And Paul starts out by saying that the love of Christ controls us. Now, I don't know about you, that word control kind of has some negative connotations to it. If I were to ask if anybody in here likes to be controlled, that is not going to be uh, a very resounding response. There's not going to be a lot of hands raised saying, yeah, I like when people control my life. No, we don't like control. So when we read this verse, it might be kind of interesting to us saying, well, the love of Christ controls. I don't want to be controlled by anybody. How can that be a good thing? But this word control is really important to know what it is really saying to us. This word control could better or more clearly be defined as the love of Christ moves me. It draws me. It compels me. There's something about the love of Christ that affects who I am as a result. So we might think of it as an impact or a sound and there being an echo that comes from that sound. Or here in this area, there's probably a better description. It's lightning and thunder. I moved here from New Jersey a while back, and when I did, I was astounded by how it goes down when there are thunderstorms and tornadoes. I'm like, man, this place is crazy. The whole house is shaking. Now, I'm not a scientist, but I do know that when lightning breaks into our atmosphere, that lightning breaking in has a result, and it is thunder. It's a sound that comes as a result of the lightning breaking in. And when you're a kid, you learn that the 
faster that you hear the sound after you see the lightning is the closer that the lightning is. The lightning breaks in and then there's thunder that results. What Paul is saying to us is that the love of Christ is like lightning breaking into our hearts. And as a result of the lightning of the love of Christ, there should be thunder that comes. There should be a result that comes out of our life as a result of what Christ has done. When we have a real encounter with him, when we meet him for real, there are things that should be true about us. And he goes on to say in that verse, those people who have that impact in their hearts no longer live for themselves. It's kind of an interesting observation to stop and think about, right? Like, if we're a Jesus person, if we're somebody who says we follow the love of Jesus and we're dedicated to him, the first question we're asking is, is there thunder coming from us? Is there a life that is no longer lived for ourselves that could define who we are? And then verse 16 goes on to say, from now on. That's my favorite three-word phrase in the Bible, from now on. If you're a follower of Jesus, that phrase from now on should be really special to you. Because what it's implying is that there is something that happened and now there's a different reality. And the from now on that we're reading comes after what we just said. The love of Christ has broken into our story. It's changed everything. The love of Christ moves us. The lightning with the thunder. And from now on, there's going to be some things that will be different about us. And look at what it says in these verses. From now on, therefore... We regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. What he's saying here is Jesus was once here on earth in human form, but we don't think of Jesus in those terms any longer because he ascended into heaven. And what he's telling us as people who follow the way of Jesus is we have a from now on kind of life. Our life and the way we see other people is no longer conditional upon what we can see or understand with our human eyes or even our human understanding. There's a new perspective that we are given when this impact of the love of Jesus breaks into our story. The first way that this is true is that we look at other people in our humanness and we all know that we are very good at judging people. Can I get an amen? Some of them want to like amen that one right there. Not you guys. You guys are super spiritual and stuff. I'm talking about for me. Like human people, we have this thing where we're able to judge people very quickly and very thoroughly, right? We know how in our own ideas to assess and look at other people and their actions and determine what is true or not true about those people based upon our assessment. And we have this natural ability to see that first whenever we encounter folks. And one of the things that Paul is trying to tell us is from now on, 
the way we look at people, the way that we determine people's value and worth and position with God is not contingent with our assessment of how we see their sin, their actions, all of the things that they are doing. It's not up to us in our strength or ability to determine where they stand or fit with God. Instead, we don't look at the outside. We see them as a soul on the inside, every single person, who can be redeemed and restored by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's not our work, but his work. The other thing that's really cool about this from now on thing for Jesus people, what should be true about our lives is if we're Jesus followers, the from now on thing applies with people's actions and what they're doing. We don't allow what their story or the sin they've committed to be the thing that is a barrier between them finding renewal from Jesus. We believe that there's a soul that can be redeemed, but also as Jesus people, we no longer regard people according to their outside based on color, based on money, based on accents, based on where they come from. Jesus' people aren't looking at people and putting them in a place based upon what they look like or what they sound like. Every person is imago Dei, made in the image of God, and there is an opportunity for God to bring restoration and renewal to every single person. So as Jesus' people, what should be true about us is we no longer find ourselves in conversation with allies looking at other people according to where they come from from or what they look like, judging other people because of what they look like or how much money they have or how they talk. No, that's not what Jesus people do. Jesus say, we, we are from now on kind of folks, Jesus people. And you might be saying, well, that's kind of hard, man. <laughs> how do you do this? Like, how is it even possible? Well, if we keep looking at these verses, the very next one tells us how a Jesus person, somebody who follows the way of Christ, should see this happen. It's a verse that might be familiar to a lot of us, but I hope you see it with fresh eyes today. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So we're saying the love of Christ, it controls us, moves us. It's lightning, and then the thunder comes. And from now on, now that we've been impacted by this Jesus movement in our hearts, we no longer regard according to the flesh. There is a new set of lenses given to us by the love of Christ. And this happens because the old is gone and the new has come when you are in Christ. The old way, the old system by which we lived is no longer what governs us. There is a new way, a Jesus way, new creation. Now, some of you might hear that and go, wait, I, I hear you. I hear what you're saying. It all makes kind of logical sense, but there's one problem. I started following Jesus, or one of my friends started following Jesus, and they woke up the next day. I woke up the next day. I looked in the mirror, and guess what? 
I looked exactly the same. You're telling me I'm a new creation, but I'm the same person. How could it be true that I'm a new creation, but yet outside I look the same way I did before? I think about this in terms of something that is a great reminder to me, and I have to reflect back on this pretty regularly. I think about a cell phone. Almost everybody in here probably has a cell phone. Some of the kiddos are like, I want a cell phone, all right? But I think about a cell phone and how there are two main components that make a cell phone work. First one is the hardware. The hardware on the cell phone is the screen, the buttons, switches, anything you can touch or feel with your fingers. It's the hardware. Hardware, and when there is something wrong with it, can be identified as broken by the naked eye. You can look at it and you can see. Some of us have some hardware It's jacked up. I've seen some of your screens on your phones, man. Stuff's all cracked up. I don't know how you don't cut your face while you're trying to just go to the mall. They'll switch it out for you. The hardware. The hardware, you can tell when it's broken. You can fix something. You could switch it out. But the other main component of a cell phone is the software. Software is equally as important as the hardware, but this is the thing about software. Software, you can't touch it, can't see it. But it's interesting because the software is what tells the hardware what to do. So the software is really important. Here's the problem. If there's something wrong with the software, you can't pick the thing out that is broken on the software and then it works. Got a whole another set of problems. Anybody ever get a virus on your cell phone or on your computer? You get a virus in the software, stuff starts going crazy, right? You start emailing people, you get hacked, you sending out messages like you're a prince from Nigeria or something, asking for money, right? Like, it gets crazy. You get a virus on your hardware, the virus or the software can make perfectly good hardware do things it was not intended to do when it was created. So it's interesting how the hardware can be flawless. No cracks, no scratches, no broken buttons. But if the software is messed up, the software will affect what the hardware does. Now, since you can't touch software... How do we fix software? Well, what we need to do is get brand new software. You can't fix part of the software. You need all new software. And guess what happens? When you get new software, the software begins to tell the hardware to work the way it was intended. This is what Paul is telling us. He says, if anyone meets Jesus, they're a new creation. Not new on the outside, but we got new software. See, the software we used to have was influencing what this hardware would do. And the software we had was infected with a virus called sin. Sin influences every action of the hardware. But in Christ, you have new software. And that new software affects the way that you live. If you're a Jesus follower, you should be be living differently because of the new software. That's good news. And then the very next verse, verse 18 and 19 says, all of this is from God, 
who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Get this, not counting their trespasses against them. Man, that's good news. If you're somebody who is a Jesus follower, somebody who wants to know what it means to live as a result of following Jesus, this right here should be an amen, praise God every time you read it. No longer counting their trespasses against them, that's good news. This whole idea of reconciling is really important. And that word might not be something that we say or use very often, but this reconciliation thing is a really big deal when it comes to following the way of Jesus. Now, before I talk about the reconciliation thing, I want to ask a simple question. How many people in here have ever sinned before? Raise your hand. If you didn't, raise your hand. You just sinned. Why? Because you're lying. That's right. What the Bible says is because of this sin, we are separated from the God of the universe who made us. It is our sin that separates us from him. It's not because God doesn't want to be with us. It's because God, who is holy and righteous and perfect, can have nothing to do with this sin. So if it's up to us alone to get rid of this sin thing so that we could be in relationship with God, we're in big trouble. Why? Because we all know we can be forgiven for sin, but as human beings, we got this real special ability, right? It's this kind of superpower we got. We can be forgiven of sin, and then guess what? We sin again. That's right. We're real good at that one. And if it's left up to us, we will never be able to Find a fix in the relationship with God. God can't have anything to do with our sin. We're separated from God. We need reconciliation. So reconciliation is a repair for relationship. You guys have been in situations maybe where inside of your relationship, your marriage, maybe you have a really good friend. And stuff isn't going the way that it's supposed to. You're kind of at odds. You're like, man, I want things to get back to the way that they were. I want to get back in rhythm with one another. And you know that the only way that this can happen is if there is reconciliation in the relationship. We have to fix what is broken. What we've determined is we human beings don't have what it takes to do the fixing of this relationship with God. But Jesus, through his death, burial, and resurrection, defeated the sin that separated us from God. So now, his work makes it so that when God looks at us, he used to see us in our sin. But when we confess and believe in Jesus, God no longer sees us in our sin. He sees Jesus in his perfection. That's good news. And what that means is Jesus reconciled us back to God. But I don't know if you caught what I said here in verse number 18. What should be true about the person who follows Jesus in their life, it says, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us and gave us 
the ministry of reconciliation. Wait, hold on. Hold on, hold on one second. You just went through that whole thing, and you just said it wasn't us. It was Jesus who reconciled us to God. That's right. But this verse says we are ministers of reconciliation. You know what that means? We are advocates for, representatives of reconciliation. Our job as Jesus people from now on is to point to the hope and the opportunity for other people to experience what we've experienced. We didn't reconcile anything, but we can invite people to know the reconciler, Jesus. He is the one who reconciles. We are ministers of this reconciliation. We can tell people, be advocates for. Our lives as a result of knowing Jesus should be influenced by this work, ministers of reconciliation. You know what's really cool about that thing? Reconciliation is first referenced between man or woman and God. That's the fix. That's the most important. But also, Jesus people really care a lot, not just about reconciliation between man and God, but also man and man. So Jesus people have this thing where they are not content to live in contention. Jesus people should not be okay just being a part of divided arguments. No, Jesus people should be contending for bridge building and finding ways to come together under the banner of the work of Jesus Christ. So Jesus people see things a little different. It's interesting to be a minister of reconciliation is to be a representation of this. You know what's cool? You can put that on your business card if you want to, minister of reconciliation. I don't know if that'll help you make a sale or anything, but like it's cool. You can actually, the Bible tells you that it's true. You follow Jesus, you're an advocate for this message. Again, you might be going, wait, but this is hard. (laughs) So hard. And the reason it's hard is I think a lot of us, even as I'm talking, myself included, are thinking about the last two and a half years. Think about the last two and a half years and how many arguments that you have either witnessed or been a part of. So many contentious moments where emotions got heated. Some of us are grieving lost relationships based upon divided thinking about an issue or an idea. Some of us have been really hurt. Some of us have been really afraid, filled with anxiety. We're thinking, man, like how does this really play out to be a minister of reconciliation in a time where things are so divided? And I think about the very next verse. The very next verse, Paul talks about Jesus' people having this flow from them kind of thing that will affect what our interactions with other people look like. Like just as a recap, you got to remember it's the love of God that's moving us. It's his love, lightning and thunder. From now on, we no longer look at anyone according to the outside first, but the inside. New creations, the old is gone, the new has come. Our job is to be ministers of reconciliation, an advocate that people can know God and we should know one another. Verse 20 says this, therefore, 
We are ambassadors for Christ. God, get this, I want you to hear this very clear. God making his appeal through us. You guys know what an ambassador is, right? An ambassador, somebody who is sent as a representative on behalf of a person or an entity, a place. Like, we have ambassadors for the United States in other countries. Just imagine you got the ambassador for the United States who's in Ghana, West Africa. And that person that's over there as an ambassador for the United States is a representative that speaks on behalf of the United States. Now let's just say something goes down and this ambassador's over in Africa. When this person speaks or gives their opinion, their opinion is not considered their opinion first because they are an ambassador. So they're not giving their opinion. They're actually giving the opinion of a whole country to where they are a representative. So it's interesting because that ambassador would then have to think about what he or she says, what he or she does, because those things become a direct reflection of those which have sent them out, right? This verse says that Jesus' people are ambassadors for Christ. As though, if that's not heavy enough, as though God himself was delivering the message through you. This is crazy. I, I, again, I think about the last couple of years, and I think about how there have been so many opportunities at every turn, in every forum, in every setting, where we can express our opinions, our beliefs, what we stand for. There are certain times where maybe we even feel moved or compelled to protest certain things. We make stances. We attend or don't attend certain places based upon the beliefs in our heart. I think that's cool. I mean, I think that's an amazing freedom that we have. But there's something different about the Jesus people that we have to make sure we take into account. Remember, we are ambassadors for Christ so whenever there is an issue that we will speak on or protest or speak against or denounce, it's okay to share your opinion. It's okay to protest. Only thing is, the scripture tells me that my primary role as a Jesus person is to make sure that whatever opinion, whatever protest, whatever I'm putting forward isn't primarily my opinion first, but the one of Christ, as though God was speaking through me. That is sobering. <laughs> because you think about how quick we are to post or to say or to speak or to do. And one of the reminders Paul is giving us here is, that's all cool. Do what you need to do, but just remember, you are an ambassador. Your life is no longer lived for yourself. The message you're putting into the world isn't your message first. It's Christ's message first. So I might want to make sure that I'm getting the message right before I deliver it. And you know what it's done for me? It's caused me sometimes to realize what I'm about to say is not being an ambassador for Christ, so I need to not say it. <laughs> This is beautiful. And then at the very end, I love that Paul ends this chapter 
with this reminder that is so important. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. And then in verse 21, it says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's almost like he goes, hey, just in case you were wondering why this whole thing is important, I'm going to get you the gospel real quick, the good news. You who were sinners were made free from sin because one who knew no sin took on the sin, died with the sin, rose again, and when he defeated sin and death, made it so that you can live. You are righteous not because of your work, but because of his finished work. That's the reminder and you know why that also is important? You know how this helps us be an ambassador? If we're not careful and we don't stop sometimes to ask the question, what should be true from my life as a result of following Jesus? We can fall into the trap of believing that even as Christian people, our lives should be determined by our righteousness, how good we are. And we either deserve or deserve to be listened to according to our righteousness. But what we remember is no one is righteous. No, not one, except through the work of Jesus. So our lives then become a response to what Christ has done rather than us working and striving and straining to prove, to do, even in the name of God. He wants us to live from the reality of his finished work. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for your word. I thank you for this church and how this church truly is the aroma of Christ. How Graceland is a place where there is a hope and a dedication to follow the way of Jesus. And they are truly making a mark in our city. I can attest to that, God, and I know it's true. And I just pray that every single one of us, myself included, would hear this word today and be reminded that our lives should look different as a result of knowing you. I pray for those who are still considering following Jesus, that they would hear this and go, man, it doesn't matter only for your life later on to know Jesus, but you need to know him now on earth. I pray that that would be true. We thank you for your grace and your kindness, how every single person in this room and whoever is listening is not beyond reconciling or saving. You will receive every one of us if we confess that you are Lord and believe in our heart that you raised from the dead. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you join me in thanking CZ for being with us today and sharing a holy word from the Lord. Thank you, CZ, for being with us today. Thank you, Curtis, and all your service um, that you've uh, shared with us here in your ministry at Graceland. I'm going to pray this benediction over you and we'll be dismissed. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Have a great week, friends. We love you.